that was a wake-up call. That more than anything, like I knew it was bad, but seeing it, seeing it on paper and realizing how much time I'd wasted on stuff I had no business working on, to me started this line in the sand to go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Wes Ashworth. Wes is the Vice President of Executive Search at Lee Group Search and specializes in partnering with packaging companies nationwide to find the talent they need to grow and scale their business operations. Wes joined the company in 2014, and he's been recruiting for eight years now. In 2017, only his third year in recruitment, he builds over $550,000. And apart from a slump during the pandemic, which we're going to talk about today, he's been a consistent top producer and, in fact, recently joined the Pinnacle Society, which is the elite consortium of the top 80 industry-leading recruiters in North America. Wes, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's a uh, privilege and a pleasure to be here. Excited to, to join the podcast that uh, has meant so much to me and helped me so much. So great to get back and, and be on, uh, on here this morning. Oh, fantastic. That, that's kind of you. Thanks for saying that. Um, you were referred to me by two people, two former guests who I admire. One is Joe Rice and the second is Rich Rosen, who both uh, are very popular episodes. And... Um, so let me just read what Joe Rice told me. He wrote me an email saying, Mark, I wanted to introduce you to my colleague in the Pinnacle Society, Wes Ashworth. His story is pretty amazing and he's a really great recruiter. He's an impressive dude. Uh, it was the Resident Recruiter podcast that helped inspire him. And I think he'd be a great speaker for you to continue to inspire other recruiters. And I, I had a similar one from Rich Rosen. So when guys like Joe and Rich tell me I need to to meet someone, then I listen, you know, that they're... Uh, they're both, um, you know, people who I admire greatly and respect. So could you just tell me the backstory to that? Like, how did you end up hooking up with Joe and Rich and the Pinnacle Society? Yeah, it's, it's because of your podcast, honestly. Um, I was going through a really rough time through pandemic. I was looking for resources, found your podcast, which was just a godsend, uh, speaking life and and uh, giving me wisdom in that time and started keying in on certain ones. They're all fantastic, but Joe Rice, his interview in particular, really spoke to me. Uh, felt related very much to his story and approach. Uh, and Rich as well, you know, and, and so many of the Pinnacle members that have been on your, your podcast. And so I, I remember listening to Joe's a morning, reached out to him right away and said, listen, I know you don't know me, but listen to this podcast. And man, it really spoke to me, um, kind of having a hard time and would love to connect with you further. And he just, without hesitation, reached out, said, hey, let's, let's have a chat and talk. And you know, he took the time to speak some life into me and, and encourage me. So uh, that's where it all started. That's how I learned about Pinnacle Societies through your podcast. That's how I got connected to, to those wonderful, wonderful guys. Um, and the rest is history. So I talked to Joe. He encouraged me to apply for Pinnacle, and, uh, which I did, which we can talk more about, and, and ended up luckily getting in. Um, and then after this most recent conference was driving to work one morning and just said, you know, this podcast did so much for me and pointed me in a, a great direction and, and put me on the path. I think I'm on now. I need to share my story and get back. So that's, uh, that's kind of the origin. All right. That is awesome, man. And listen, um, I'm sure you know that 
99% of the people who I interview are owners, but yeah. I made an exception for you. And there's a couple of other people just where I felt you had a fantastic story to tell and you would definitely bring value to our listeners. And so, yeah, so thanks for, uh, thanks for, for reaching out. Um, so tell me the story of, you, why, why did you become a recruiter in the first place? Uh, like so many, by complete uh, accident, <laughs> no, not intentional at all. Uh, had a great, great family friend, um, this lady, a, a complete debt of gratitude. Um, but I was searching for co- some career options. She connected me to one of our owners at the firm now, who I still work closely with, uh, Eric, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. He's been a great mentor in my life. And uh, we just had a conversation about uh, career and what to do, and I had no idea what what the private recruiting world was like or what it was, what it entailed. Um, so hit it off. It, timing wasn't right at that point. It was kind of coming out of 2008, 2009, you know, somewhere around there, but we stayed in touch and a few years later reconnected and was kind of still on that career journey. And he said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a recruiter? And I said, Nope, I have not. And I have no idea what it is, but sure. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, we met for several hours and he lined it out and, Really, the rest is history. Amazing. All right. Awesome. And how did you end up in packaging? That's like, were you working in the industry previously or? No, complete and utter accident. I think, again, just happenstance. Uh, one of one of my first searches I got put on uh, was a plastics company in our okay. local area. And so that started the journey kind of towards plastics. As, as, as I grew down it, I started kind of drawing more towards packaging, the packaging side of plastics. Um, it just honestly found it interesting. And it was something I knew I had a starting place because of that. That search was, uh, was a big client in that year and uh, just stayed down the path and, and kind of continued. Built to, on you know, that success. That's yeah. It. All right. Awesome. Makes sense. So... Um, so you were, I know you'd, uh, you'd done really well. You were, your production was excellent. You got promoted to VP. Um, but then it seems like st- stuff hit the fan uh, back in 2020. Yeah. Um, as it did for most, I would say, like the vast majority of recruiters yep. had a, a, a tough time then. So talk me through what was happening in your world uh, when that kicked off. Yeah, you know, like so many, you know, struggled. Uh, I think the difference, which I didn't pivot quickly, <laughs> I didn't do some of the great things that some people did quickly. Um, you know, coming out of a great year, twenty nineteen, growing, building our our firm, and hitting that. Uh, basically, I was promoted, and then pandemic just came crashing down, and everything sort of fell apart. Um, jobs were put on hold. Um, we were building a team. We ended up, you know, losing a couple of those team members just due to financial or, or numbers weren't quite what they needed to be, uh, through that time frame. So yeah, just feel like got kicked in the teeth and couldn't win no matter how hard I tried. And, uh, it was one I thought it naively would be going, you know, would happen or go away quickly. Um, and was just sort of waiting and, it didn't go away quickly, as we well know. Uh, <laughs> and it took some really hard lessons, uh, getting just just my butt kicked royally for two years and learning some really hard lessons. But uh, 
honestly look back now and I'm grateful and thankful that it happened and did finally learn, did finally get uh, what I needed to do, connected with some great, great people that spoke wisdom and life into me and, and have helped me going forward. So uh, that's, the, that's the gist. Well, I am positive that many, many people will relate to what you just shared. And it totally sucks at the time. And I, it's only really looking back that you realize that it, it was a gift in some ways. Like I feel the same about that period was um, my business has transformed since then as well. Yeah. And it's turned from one thing into something spectacularly better. And it, wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have happened you know, if we hadn't all gone through that, because it forces, like, you're kind of, I don't know, I, I'm not saying you were coasting, but I was definitely, mm -hmm. you know, in a gear that I was not um, playing full out and uh, was kind of coasting and, and um, maybe complacent is too strong. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it forces you to rethink things and, and switch it up and try new strategies and... Um, you know, almost out of desperation, right? Because you're like, yeah. man, I just, you know, some, I have to do something different to make this work. And yeah. uh, you end up, then when the market picks up, then you are so much better than you were previously. That's certainly been my experience anyway. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think definitely was there comfortable in a way. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a very competitive person, as, as most people in, that have succeeded in this world. So always pushing, always driving, trying to do better. But uh, in a way, was a bit complacent. I, mean, I think maybe that is too strong a word, but close to that. Um, and then just being forced, you didn't have a choice. You had to try some different things, do some things different. Uh, and we did that. I think some good, some bad. Uh, I think through that and looking back, there are great things that we did early on. And I think taking the time, uh, as you said, sort of preparing for when the market came back up. So we just reevaluated all of our, our tech stack, our forms, our contracts, our uh, just, just processes and all those things that maybe we didn't have time to do before, didn't take the time to stop and do. So we did that, uh, which I think was really beneficial and helpful. Um, but yeah, completely, I think through that, re-evaluated and, and completely redid our business model from scratch and started working in a completely new way, uh, which has been incredible. And I don't think that would have happened if, if uh, we didn't go through what we went through for, for the two years that we did. Amazing. So let's just break that down. Uh, what Can you recall roughly, like, what was the, the time or the date where it really just hit you that shit, this is like <laughs> really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 2020, um, again, just being tenacious and stubborn, I think I'm stubborn as can be, and I think admit that, uh, was just holding on. It was just kind of working, working really hard, just not giving up, just nose the grind to just keep going um, and feel like I was holding my breath for when this thing was going to be over um, to the point of almost just blacking out, <laughs> but just, just tenacious and continuing to push forward. Um, and I remember thinking like light at the end of the tunnel, 2020 is almost over. Uh, 2021, once that starts, man, we'll be back. It'll be better. Things will be great. Uh, 
nearing burnout, just just driving. And then 2021 hit, and uh, it wasn't better. <laughs> it didn't happen. And, oh, no. Uh, a lot of recruiters, things did. Like 2020 was uh, was a good year. Yeah. But that wasn't your experience. So t- no. what what happened for you? Yeah, so 2021, um, I, I hadn't shifted the way I was working yet. And uh, I was just kind of continuing to grind it out and realizing that thinking it was going to get better and it didn't. Um, and I was all purely contingent at that point. Uh, I had longstanding clients that uh, I could rely on up until that point. You know, I, I would almost mm-hmm. count those contingent searches like retained, where I would fill almost every single one of them. And all of a sudden, that wasn't happening anymore. And so I was losing business mm-hmm. over and over again. I'm working harder than I've ever worked, um, doing my part, getting candidates, doing the process thoroughly, and then walking away with nothing to show for it. And then compounding the fact of just being burnt out, um, just kind of going from all of 2020 and beyond, and just kind of got worse and worse. And, and so I think... Uh, Really going into the end of 2020, my confidence was shaken. You know, I, I and I'm a totally. confident person, believe in what I do, passionate about what I do. Um, and I had just lost all sense of confidence where I, when I was going to a client conversation, new client conversation, I was walking in uh, without my normal confidence, without my normal passion, and just having a hard time believing in it anymore. And uh, that was tough. And that kind of, again, continues to get worse and worse. Um, so yeah, it, probably end of 2020, I, I, I realized like, you know, Hey, I might, this, I might be in trouble here. Uh, this, this sucks. I'm not having fun anymore, not having success, not giving up, not, not working any less and working harder. Um, but yeah, realizing something. I mean, at that stage, any thoughts about like packing it in and trying something else or like, cause what? Like what's, uh, yeah, you're doing everything you know how you're, you're, but it feels like you're beating your head against a brick wall, yeah. not getting the results that you're used to, confidence knocked. What's, uh, what's going through your head? Uh, quitting has never been in my DNA. And I think that that, awesome. All right. that probably is a beneficial thing in recruiting that you need to have. Um, totally. I, to, to a point. I'll just keep going until eventually, like, I'm not going to give up. I'll keep fighting at it. I, um, right. My dad told a story when I was a kid that uh, I was probably eight, nine. We're at the beach and these little fish are swimming around the water and I wanted to catch one. And he goes, son, you'll never catch one of those fish. They're just too fast. Um, and I literally probably sat there for hours until I finally caught one and brought it to him uh, and said, hey, you know, here you go. So, so being told I can't do something, that's a pretty big motivating factor and driving factor. Uh, I won't let something beat me. And I think that's, that's critical, critical for success in this industry. So there was never a thought of awesome. giving up. It was just, mm-hmm. my God, how long can I go like this? And um, yes. stress continuing to pile up. Uh, emotionally being affected, um, it, it was rough, you know. And in, in those years of, of really everything, it was a perfect storm. Like business is down. I'm in a new position where a team is counting on me for their financial success of their families. I'm let, I feel like I'm letting them down. I feel like I'm letting the loaner, owners of our firm down. Um, personal life is a mess just because our, you know, our daughter. I have a beautiful, almost nine year old daughter. Is the love and joy of my life. Um, she had to do remote school 
and she's isolated, not I around know. her friends. That's putting extra stress on my wife, who's working from home full time, which my wife, absolute saint, uh, that I couldn't have got through it without. Um, and it's just compounding, 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 compounding. There's all this negativity in the media and news. Um, and that was something where I just drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not letting negativity in. I'm not listening to anything negative. I'm not, you know, I have enough going on to where I'm canceling all that stuff out. So I think the problem was there. Um, but I didn't fully grasp what I needed to do until probably the end of 2021. Okay, excellent. So let's, We'll segue into that because I, I want to hear about the changes you made to your business model and what were the shifts that you've implemented, which have resulted now in a record-breaking period and a new, a, a new pin, achieving a new pinnacle. To, uh, pardon the expression. Yeah. And um, but but first, just wanted to uh, say to you, by the way, Wes, that the fact that you've now emerged from that ho- horrible, you know, experience means that you've got that muscle memory for next time because that the problem with recruiting it's a great business it's a it's a it's a great profession but the economy we are very linked to the economy and that cyclical and we know that sooner or later you know we're going to have another another downturn or you yeah. know um deceleration and uh but now you've almost you've got your stripes you know mentally that you can get through that emotionally and you also have some uh awareness of some new strategies and you're going to be the one who's mentoring and coaching others through that who are maybe earlier in their career and maybe haven't ever seen you know a a a challenging you know that kind of adversity before you'll be very well um equipped to coach them so it's you know uh that's one positive (laughs) you can you can take away yeah Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. So what were those key changes? Like just break it down for me and walk me through how that evolved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so to one, it's this feeling like I'm working harder than ever and I'm getting less results. And that is is just demotivating and just, just kills you. Um, and so I finally got to the point, and I would encourage anybody to do this if they feel the same, um, figure it out and quantify it. You know, go and look. You know, we have a system honestly, where we can look at all the searches I've worked on. And I did that sort of towards the end of 2021. I looked back and said, man, I have killed myself this year 
and build almost less than I've ever built, um, what happened? And so I looked at every search and I looked at every search that I actually worked on, not just I had knowledge of an opening or anything like that, but, but spent weeks and weeks of time doing what I needed to do, getting candidates, working the process, not skipping steps, going through it. And then I figured out, okay, here's probably what a low estimate of those fees would have been if I would have filled all those searches. And how many of those blew up? How many of those were a complete and utter waste of time? And it resulted in $662,000 in, in billing. Personal billing, not team building. Just me that I worked on, worked hard, gave it all I had. Um, that was a wake-up call. That more than anything, like I knew it was bad, but seeing it, seeing it on paper and realizing how much time I'd wasted on stuff that had no, I had no business working on, uh, to me started this line in the sand to go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Even if I would have worked on just the ones that were, uh, you know, credible and and you know I really would have closed. At least I wouldn't have worked as hard and killed myself for no reason. Right, exactly. Um, but, but then the realization that it, hey, if I worked on, um, you know, twice as many searches that I would have filled that were actually good and credible, and I would have filled them and not worked for free, um, how much more could I do? And so that started really churning. Um, that was a wake-up call for me. I started reaching out to people, just just under, trying to better understand how do you do that? How do you make that transition? Um, I was kind of auditioned for Pinnacle in October of 2021, so last year. And they had a speaker, uh, Jennifer Meyer. She's from Govic Associates, so shout out to her. Uh, she spoke- Sorry, and, what, could you repeat that? Jennifer Meyer's? Jennifer Meyer uh, at Govic Meyer? Associates. Okay. She was a speaker, okay. um, and she just had this mindset of not working for free and really being confident in dictating her terms. And uh, I, I reached out to her and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing, because she had gone from pure contingent uh, walking in and making it, you know, almost fully engaged or attained. And so had a conversation with her. She was uh, fortunate enough that uh, I was fortunate enough that she would spare her time and, and speak some of that into me. And one thing that she said, she, she, there were some strategies there, but she said, you know, beyond anything most important, put your stake in the ground and don't look back. It can't be a 50-50 thing. You can't be half in contingent, half in engaged. Put your stake in the ground and go forward. And that's the number one thing for success beyond anything else. And at that moment, I just said, I'm done. I saw the, the revenue loss working really hard on stuff that made no difference at all. And I said, I am not uh, signing another contingent agreement. Um, I'm not taking on any new business that's not you know engaged where some money's put up front. I'm not going to do it no matter how bad it hurts, no matter what the short-term pain, it's not going to happen made that determination, that's when stuff started changing. I love that, Wes. That's uh, great advice from Jennifer. How does she spell her last name, by the way? It is M-E-Y-E-R. Okay, perfect. Uh, just so I can look her up and we'll put, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. But um, so, listen, I love this philosophy of putting a stake in the ground and going all in like only not writing another contingent search agreement. Um, when I was running a desk, I actually did do a blend. So I did probably 50-50 contingent and like it was exclusive contingent, but 
and then and then retained or engaged. Um, and I think that you can make that work. But psychologically, I think your stance is more powerful, actually. I, and and looking back, I wish I had done it that way. I think it would I would have done even better. So um, so I love that. So you had this new mindset. How did you actually carry it out? Yeah. So, so for me, I'm an all in and all out type of person. And I think that's why it made sense for me to put the stake in the ground and go hundred percent one way. Um, what I found was I didn't have another choice and it, I didn't have an easy choice to fall back on. And so we can all get to the point where we're a little desperate for business. We really want that client. Um, and yeah, we want engaged, but they kind of push back on it and it's too easy to fall back on a contingent option. And so not having that option in my mind made me confidently stand my ground and say, hey, this is the way we work. That that may or may not be okay for you. And, and that's okay. You know, we may not be a fit for each other and that's okay. Uh, this is the way I work. This is why I work. Going into those conversations confidently, really without another option, um, that forced me to really believe in it and stand by it. And I think every it didn't was perfect at first, but every conversation I walked in, it got more and more comfortable. It got easier. I believed it more, um, and magically, you ask for it, and all these clients go, "Hey, sure, we'll pay an engagement fee up front. We get it. Why you don't want to work for free? And we're committed. And sure." Um, so, so I'm, I'm a firm believer. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in my career early on was, "The world belongs to askers," um, and I think just asking the question of you know, hey, we, we work on this model. It's it's a small fee up front um, and asking for it and you get it. A hundred percent. I love that, Wes. Um, fantastic. It, it's so powerful. It's simple, but it's, it's powerful. So can you recall, like, when was the very first successful engaged pitch that you won without naming the company name, but just yeah. tell, can you tell me that story? Yeah, it, it was January uh, this year. Um, actually, that's that's not true. Probably December of, of last year, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, yeah, it, and it wasn't um, it wasn't like I had thirty of these conversations and one finally hit. It was probably within the first five. Um, wow. And it was just, I think one I did my homework and researching kind of why I believe this. Um, and it was coming from an honest place. It was, it was going, mm-hmm. I worked on plenty of searches <laughs> over the year that were contingent. I could tell you why they didn't work. Um, but it was really being that ability. And, and the realization I had in my head, two things. Uh, one was people that are doing business with you want to be guided in the process. They don't, even if they don't admit it, they want you to be the expert. They want you to know why uh, it's going to be successful and how it's successful. And I started thinking about that. Of like, I'm good at what I do. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. Um, you know how to do this. You know how to get success. You know what happens when a successful hire is made in a timely manner, the right fit, all the right things. You know how to do it. You've got to help these people see it and, and be able to know um, how to go about it because they don't know. And but too much, oftentimes, when we're in that desperate mode, we're letting the 
client dictate how they want to work and how it should be. And they just know what they know from experience. And it's up to you to kind of teach them and show them something different. And so I started, started banking on that and, and just telling clients too, like, hey, this is how I put food on the table for my family. This is how I care for my family is the success of this, that we're both successful and we're in this together. Uh, I know how to do this. I know how to get us to to this success. And if you trust me, if you let me help you, if we're truly partnered on this, I can help you get there. Um, if we're fit for each other, if we're not, that's okay too. Um, but I know the key to success, I know how to get there and we got to trust each other in order to partner there. And, and so this realization too, that why wouldn't somebody pay an engagement fee? Either one, they want to hedge their bets and they want every opportunity out because they know they've got internal candidates or they know they've got, man, we actually get a lot of applicants. Um, they want every out to not pay that fee. Two, mm -hmm. in my mind, is they don't trust you. Mm -hmm. And if they don't trust totally you right. or believe in you, you shouldn't work with them anyways. And you don't want, that's not somebody you would want to work with. And uh, I don't, if they don't trust me and believe me to do the job, then, then I think they should go find someone that they do. And so beyond those two reasons, to me, there's not many other reasons. And so it was kind of going, well, if, if we kind of go through this, I'll be as raw and transparent and honest as possible with you. Share how I work, share who I am, share what I'm about, share what I'm good at, share what I'm not. And if you believe in me and trust me to do this, there's no reason you wouldn't pay this small fee up front. It's nothing extra. Um, then okay, you know, but but more often than not, they would, um, because you you know, especially when you're raw and transparent and honest, people work with you because they relate to you and like you and like your your demeanor and process and the way you work, uh, and so people started buying into that, and I started walking away from a lot of business that weren't, and, and they would kind of go, you could tell, you know, logically they would kind of calculate it and go, well, you know. Yeah, we like you a lot, and yeah, we really want to work with you, but we just don't do that. Uh, and it's kind of like, okay, and you say no, and you walk away. And some of those would call back. Some of those you're going, and some I found out afterwards that I dodged a serious bullet and would have wasted a Absolutely. lot of time on. And the more you start feeling that and experiencing that, the higher your belief goes. Uh, to where now, honestly, there's nothing in my mind that could convince me otherwise to do anything different. Um, and I don't think this is, as you said, there are many ways to go about this business. There, I know people in Pinnacle, um, you know, Joe and some of the others being ones that work purely contingent. Uh, there is a very, very, very specific way they do it and a roadmap they follow to be successful. And they have tremendous success. I'm not saying it's the only way. But for me and the way I was going, it, it is the right way and, and one I am just supremely confident bought into. I love that, Wes. You gave some really nice um, phrases there, which I think speak to the mindset you're bringing to it also, but are logically convincing from the point of view of helping the client to understand why this makes sense for both parties. It's not just you. It actually, it, it works better for them as well. So that was brilliant. And <clears throat> So was this going back to your existing legacy clients and then converting them? Or was it new? Like, did you have to find entirely new clients? How did that break down? Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of the challenge. Uh, it's, it's hard to go to a client you've worked with for eight years and right. go, hey, I know we've always worked this way and it's worked really well, 
but now I need to collect money up front. Um, that's challenging. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so truthfully, my focus became new client development. Um, yeah. I think I was more specific in the way I did that and, and getting a little more niched, a little more specific in the types of roles or type of people I was reaching out to. Um, started a campaign that was a, a specific part of packaging with a specific focus of, on the, the job itself and started reaching out to those hiring managers with that in mind. Hey, you know, I specialize in, in the packaging space, recruiting for these positions, you know, and, and kind of going through our, our flow. Uh, so it was very, very intentional new business, business development. Um, I will say the overwhelming majority of my revenue this year is from new clients. Interesting. Okay, fantastic. Um, I want people to realize, though, that if they just make this uh, change in their business model, it doesn't mean you have that some of your clients won't come with you because they yeah. absolutely will. And, um, you know, because that might that might dissuade people that yeah. that could create fear of, you know, I'm gonna have to rebuild from scratch, right. uh, which is not a bad thing to have to reinvigorate your desk and, and do that new business again. But mm -hmm. Um, but some, some clients will come along on yeah. this journey with you. And they have. Uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want to discourage people from that. Um, so now, so I started here, my mindset at the beginning was new clients, it's going to be all engaged. Nothing I'm going to do contingent on a new model. Existing clients, I still took on some contingent. Uh, kind of as I transitioned and I wanted to maintain the relationship, especially with the good ones. There were some ones that just needed to be let go and, and that's a decision you have to make. Um, but the existing clients have come around now too. And, and part of it, good. honestly, was being, these are people who I have relationships with. We built trust. These are hiring managers I know uh, really well and we've had success together. And it was just being really honest with them. Uh, one in particular, I just had a conversation and said, hey, um, I just kind of wanted to go through this with you. I changed my business model. This is why. And really, you guys are one of the only clients I still work with in, in sort of the old way, really because I like you and I trust you and we've had great success together. Um, but almost coming from just an honest, humble point of view, not to dictate and, hey, guys, I need you to you know, get with this now. Um, but just asking, you know, for help and, mm. and getting their guidance and, hey, I'm working on this model. This is why. This is what I've done with other clients. You know, you guys, I'm continuing to, to work, you know, contingent basis because, you know, we've got trust. I like you. want to work together. But, you know, what would you suggest? Do you think this is something we could do? And what are your thoughts? Um, and a lot of them I was surprised that I think more than anything, it was a limiting belief thinking these existing clients mm. would come over that they go, Yeah. Hey Wes, whatever you need, like you need some money up front. Okay, no worries. Uh, and I've got that multiple times from existing clients. Um, and so, to your point, I think more than anything, that's probably a limiting belief in that fear that your existing clients won't come around. Some won't, and probably those are ones you you should walk away from, anyways. You know, those are ones that, Absolutely. and I think that's the danger holding onto that client that gives you enough billing a year that you're holding on to it desperately. Um, but if they're, if you're really honest with yourself, you really looked at the numbers, you really analyze it. They're not a great client. 
Awesome. That is so well said, Wes. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that's that's brilliant. And do you know the other thing that um, in addition to the true partnership with a client where they are, they do trust you, they do want to work with you, and they're willing to uh, give you, you know, uh, an advance on the, you know, on the fee. Um, the other area that we encourage people to revisit with especially new, but even their existing clients is their, their charge rate, their fee percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we do with our, our coaching clients who join our program, we want to get them some quick wins so that like the coaching pays for itself pretty quickly. And so one of the things that we do with everybody, like in the first month is get them to raise their rates. Um, unless they're already charging like the absolute upper limit in their niche, but that's rare. Most of us over time, we've kind of, you know, conceded on, you know, multiple occasions and you get into a point where you're in a comfort zone. And we encourage people to review that based on the how hot the market is, how much demand there is for candidates, and also, you know, some of the differentiators and some of the new processes they're putting in place to level up their their service offering. You know, both of those point to being able to charge a premium uh, because you know you're just as good, if not better, to your competitors. So why would you charge less? You know, why wouldn't you charge? Yeah at least the same, if not more. And what we find time and time again, it is such a mindset and limiting belief issue more than anything, because people, like we kind of, we don't force anybody, but we challenge them to to go and, and implement this. And we give them support and verbiage and, you know, guide framework for, for doing it, but it's 80% is mindset. And um, people come back and they've changed from like, We've had people go from 15% to 20%, from 20% to, you know, 25%. We had one lady go from uh, 28%, I think she was charging, to 35% she's charging now. So wherever people are on that spectrum from, you know, 15% to 30%, um, you can always go higher. And and, uh, so that's kind of uh, another little thing, which is... It's the same thought process as switching to retained, I think, is really valuing what you do, believing that you have a, a, a hugely positive and beneficial impact on the client's business. Um, you know, the impact of the talent that you're introducing, this, the amount of time you're saving them in the search process, um, you know, it's, it's kind of this, it's a similar uh, thought process or, or mindset, I think. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugey to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. 
To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. What's happening now? Like, to, I think you're smashing new records. So what? Yeah. What's the What's the state of your business uh, as we speak today? Oh, God, it's good. Um, I'm having fun. I'm excited. I'm, I'm fired up. Uh, so July, or June. Sorry, June. Uh, June for as of June first is at you know roughly four twenty in billing, um, which you know it's on pace for for record kind of year. Uh, admittedly now, especially being around all these pinnacle members that are million dollar billers, uh, that's where my sights are now, you know, and, and trying to, to pace that. Uh, so, so come June, that's my goal, be it, uh, around 500 awesome. or close 500 into June, but yeah, rocking and rolling, uh, having a great time and, and, uh, felt re re-energized, found my love again for this career and clients are happy. I'm happy. Um, one in particular that's become, you know, one of my main new clients, they had never worked anything but contingent. And so they gave me one search to, to work engaged first time they'd ever done it and just, uh, knocked it out of the park, showed them, I think the transparency too, that enabled me, I'm, I'm that way. I like, I don't like to hide. I like to be transparent. I like to be honest and show totally. them where I'm at. Um, but we have a, a search we're working on. We had a weekly recurring call and I would send them a report of my entire search every week. It would show every candidate I've reached out to, every conversation I've had, everything I've done, fully open, fully transparent. And I could do that because it was was engaged. Um, and man, we, we knocked the park on that search. Uh, they were thrilled and uh, just over the moon. They they put me into like all their different divisions now and different searches. And and they go, hey, you know, this is unlike anything we've ever done before and worked before. So, so that encouragement to go, if you can get in those clients and convince them, give you one search and let, let you do it the right way, let you do something different, you can uh, really become something that, that they've never experienced before. So... Life's, Amazing. Life's I love that. <laughs> All right, Wes. Fantastic. And uh, I can feel that energy. You know, you've definitely got your, your mojo back. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of points you made I wanted to pick up on. The first was the power of having a peer group to pace yourself against. And um, two examples of that. So recently I ran my first half marathon. It was the Edinburgh Marathon Festival a yeah. couple of weekends ago. And... Um, it was so much easier when you're running with a, like there's literally thousands and thousands of people and there's people cheering you on. And, you know, that is so much easier than being by yourself on those cold, rainy nights, like yeah. running, you know, uh, which you have to do, obviously you have to put in the, uh, the miles on your own. But that I think speaks to just how when you're, you're sort of competing with other people and you want to uh, excel and you have, you have others to sort of compare yourself against. And it also speaks to the power of having a peer group, whether it's Pinnacle or whether it's our coaching program or something else, having like-minded uh, people who are excellent and really setting the bar high means that you, you're 
the your reference point, the people that you're comparing yourself to, um, if you compare yourself to not, and by the way, I, I don't mean compare yourself in, in, and feel bad about where you are, but sure. almost as an inspirational, you know, think, wow, if, if Wes can, can, can transition to fully retained, you know, and he just, like, he seems like a normal, regular guy. If he can do it, then there's no reason I can't do it. It's having yep. those examples of, uh, and those role models, I think, is, is powerful. Um, You're spot on there. And I guess t- to add that, I think the uh, importance of that was just, just so incredible in this journey that prior to that point, um, it was sort of this old school recruitment mentality of you don't network with other recruiters, you don't talk with other recruiters, you don't share with other firms, you know, you got to guard your business, you got to guard everything. Um, and through the pandemic, I felt so isolated um, and just kind of by myself in this journey. And not, not to mention, I had my firm and, and the owner and, and some of my teammates, which were phenomenal, but something different about having a, an outside peer group. And just feeling like I'm out on an island by myself and then connecting with Pinnacle, which I would encourage anyone if they're searching for something to to seek out Pinnacle or another network or another association and get involved for that very reason you explained. Um, but so many limiting beliefs were shaken when I connected with that group and those people to realize that, you know, they're phenomenal people, uh, but you do sense this they're normal people and there's nothing magical that they're doing. It's just working smarter, working better, using a little wisdom, using the power of a group versus one mind. Um, and so that is so critically important. So I would encourage anybody out there, you know, shake the belief that you can't network with other recruiters. Uh, we're totally. in this together. We would need to help each other and we're better, better collectively. Absolutely. Like, I think uh, it's that abundance mindset and realizing, like, nobody understands better what you're going through than another recruiter, right? Like, even your spouse or, like, your friends or your family, they, they love you, they appreciate you. But they really don't know what it's like to get a counteroffer or yeah. have a deal, like, or have someone ghost you or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, they can't really relate to it in the same way as someone who's in the same boat with similar goals, similar challenges. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned um, you had to really refocus on new business, Wes. And, yeah. Um, what are you doing to like really stand out? There's a lot of noise out there at the moment. Um, how did you change up your business development or your messaging or your strategy in order to have enough new prospects to speak to? Yeah, uh, a couple things. One, um, I, I'm not, a, I don't do a tremendous amount of cold calls, to be honest. That's probably controversial to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and, funny because it's something, well, don't get me, look, there's, this is one of those topics I could, I could get on my soapbox because yeah. some people there's, there's recruiters out there and I've interviewed them on the show and they're like, you know, it's all about picking up the phone, yep. making the cold calls, doing the reps. That is the secret to success. Yeah. And then there's others out there saying cold calling is dead. You <laughs> need to, you know, use social media, generate inbounds, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here going, guys, it's not either or, yeah, it's both. Absolutely. You know, there's not, you don't have to do one and not the other. But yep. uh, sorry, I'll, I'll let you talk, Wes. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your approach? No, it's perfect. Uh, so, so really it is, it's niche specific. 
Um, it is, is focused areas and finding companies that makes the most sense to reach out to, firing, finding those hiring managers. Generally, the highest I can go, it's going to be a CEO or an executive or a VP level. Um, I have had a lot of success with like LinkedIn automation, to be really honest with you. Um, yeah. Have some tools. It's not a... The tool is not a public tool that you can go out and buy, so I won't name it by name. I'm trying to actually get... Uh, in that to where I can offer it as a service. I'm, I'm working on that. Okay, um, cool. But it, it just, and there are plenty of, of them out there. It sends a connection request. Yep. If they don't reply, it sends follow-up messages and goes through a cadence. Um, mm-hmm. So I do that. I think the important part is never salesy, no, never over, overbearing, never asking for too much, just giving the relevance of why I'm reaching out, uh, showing them I'm a real normal guy. Um, I'll give a ton of credit to uh, Josh Braun. Um, he is a sales trainer. Uh, he's a uh, he was like a copywriter, brilliant guy. He spoke at a Pinnacle conference. That turned my messaging upside down. He he has a very Fantastic. provocative uh, way of going about <laughs> it. But when you hear it, you're like, man, that makes sense. It's it's counter. How do you, yeah. How do you spell that last name? It's Wes? B R A U N. Okay, B R A U N. B R A U N. He's on LinkedIn. You look him up right. a lot of different ways, uh, but he is just all about just removing the pitch, getting through the noise, being raw, being real, being relevant. Uh, I applied so many of his uh, tactics, and people responded to that more than anything. Fantastic. Um, to the point where I've even had people ask about it, like. Hey, you you worded this this way, or you asked this question this way, man. That that got my attention. I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, so a lot of credit to to Josh Braun. Wow, his, his sales training. You know, you've got good messages when your prospects thank you for sending their your uh, outreach to them. Yeah, and and some and of like it is compliment just, you on it. Yeah, some of it's just real. You know, it's just honest. Yeah. It feels good when you say it because you're not being over professional and fake, and you know, <clears throat> uh, being that way. But some of it's just real being authentic. I had one yesterday um, and it was some message of going, Hey, I've reached out a few times, you know, I'm sure you're ready at this point just to tell me to kick rocks and get out of here. I completely get it if that's the case, but you know, haven't heard from you. Don't want to assume, uh, just want to know, you know, I'll sleep better at night. If you tell me just, Hey, I'm happy and no worries. Um, I had several responses to that one is like, Hey, I've ignored messages up to this point, but man, that really that humor got me. I laughed and responded. Um, so I'd encourage anybody to check him out. I think just uh, there's so much noise out there and it's so easy to yes. get lost. But when you do something that no one else is doing, you say something no one else is saying uh, in today's world, that that's what gets the response. That's what gets the attention. So I think Definitely. that's a huge piece of it. I love that, Wes. And, and we, in, in our group, we look at everyone's tech stack and people actually share like all the tools they're using, com, you know, and so, and compare notes. So we know what the best uh, platforms out there are. Um, I have used uh, quite a few of our coaching clients use LinkedIn automation tools uh, of one kind or another. And I think there's definitely value to that. If you do it correctly, you can also mess it yeah. up. So you have to be careful with that. Um, I actually got my wrist slap by LinkedIn for using automation um, a few years ago. And uh, yeah. so I now just playing it safe, we do it totally manually, but it's a yeah. similar process. But um, it's uh, my, my team and my colleague, Rachel, helps me with that. So 
it is laborious mm-hmm. and it's the kind of thing, like I think for a, for a recruiter running a desk, automation is the way to go. Yeah. Because otherwise, well, if you're an owner and you've got the budget to hire an offshore virtual assistant, you can get somebody else to do it for you, which is send those connection requests, send the follow-up messages, uh, and then track where everyone is in a spreadsheet it can definitely be can definitely be done. And it has certain advantages over the automation. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're running a desk and you, you don't want to hire anyone to do that, then definitely check out automation tools. And if you're wondering which ones to use, then reach out to me and I'm happy to, uh, happy to help you with that. Um, yeah. Josh, in addition to the LinkedIn uh, stuff, is there anything else that you're doing that's being effective right now? Um, I mean, a lot of it comes from that. Um, I've joined, uh, I think, some industry associations as well. Um, you mean for the industry you serve? Yeah, packaging specific ones. Yeah, started trying to great be, idea. be a voice there. Um, yeah. And then I think, too, just where some of the things come in, just networking, you know, calling people or talking to people that you've worked with in the past or, uh, again, the world belongs to askers, asking the question of, of uh, those new clients that, uh, you know, they know other, they probably know other owners, they probably know other executives in the space. And so asking those questions, I think, goes a long ways. Um, but that's it. I mean, Definitely. no magic thing. The, well, you know, it's, it, it, that's one of those obvious things that most people just don't do, right, is ask every positive, like, you have a positive experience with a, a, can, or a candidate or a client you served, they're happy, you know, network with them, ask them who else they know that you might be able to help you know, that's in a similar profession or, or, or space or, or job function. Uh, and pe- why wouldn't they? People are happy to help you. You know, you've, already, you've helped them, so they're going to reciprocate. In terms of LinkedIn, I, I should have checked before I jumped on here. Are you also posting your own content so that you're showing up in the newsfeed of people you are connected with? Or Yeah, I am. So, so we, have, uh, we work with an outside marketing firm which has been fantastic for us as a local firm. Um, but we were constantly kind of producing different blog posts. We're trying to add some just posts that are adding humor and light to the day, uh, some quick things to get attention, but just trying to stay relevant, trying to stay on uh, social media feeds. Um, just the realization that more people see our name, they see us, they see us in the space, the more trusted we become. So constantly doing that. Um, I would say it's not a huge time commitment, truthfully, uh, but we're trying to do you know little things that make sense and and putting that content out there always. Definitely, and it's the it's the aggregate of you're doing the reach outs, you're connecting people on LinkedIn, then they see your post, and then they get a follow up message from you, and then you know they might get a phone call, and it's the combination of those things that mean that you their their perception is Wes Ashworth is everywhere, and then maybe you bump into them at a conference. Yeah. You get that industry association you've joined, and they go, hey, I know you. Yep. Uh, and because you know, they've seen your stuff on LinkedIn, I think that's, uh, I wish there was just one thing that you could do that generated a flood of business. But yeah. I think it has to be a combination of things. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that uh, Joe Rice said on his interview is it's not an or, it's an and, which you said that earlier as well. Um, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think there's no magic bullet. You just, you, there's an and. You've, you've got to kind of put little bits and pieces out all over the place. And, and that collectively will get you there. Awesome. Wes, well, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope 
you and expect that you will hit your uh, goal of reaching seven figures. And yeah. sounds like you're you're well on your way to doing that already this year. So uh, so good luck and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. A, a, a true privilege and uh, happy to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.